Hi, my name is Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This talk focuses on how hope survives. We have a great opportunity this week to interview a New York businessman, and with his life story, he really unpacks this truth. September 11th, 2001 was certainly and truly a day that marked our country. And it didn't necessarily appear that hope would survive. You probably remember exactly where you were and what you were doing when the events of that day began to unfold. And then the shock, the surprise, the anger, the sense of injustice, cruelty, outrage, And then the questions, who would do something like this? And how could this happen here? And how would families, friends, a city, and a country that had lost so much survive? Emotions were ramped up. And I think sometimes we walk through tragedies and we begin to wonder, Can hope really survive? Really? After all of the pain, can hope really survive? I had the privilege a few months ago to travel to New York City and interview a very unique individual named Jerry Molnar. Jerry's a New Yorker. He's a businessman. He was an individual who was just chasing the American dream. And in the process of chasing that dream, God changed his life. And yet his life still wasn't perfect after that. He walked through many tragedies, including the World Trade Center bombing in 1993, death in his own family, and certainly September the 11th. And so I want you to watch this story And just listen to how hope survives. Jerry, you've been in New York your whole life. What would you say were some of your early influencers? The first, uh, the first thing I could remember is being, uh, coming from poverty. As a kid, uh, people wanted to be doctors, lawyers. I wanted to be a hobo. (laughs) I mean that just to escape. So in my family, it was all alcoholism and, uh, we lived very, very poor. And what part of the city did you live in? In Jersey City, on Mallory Avenue, pretty rough section. Jerry, tell me a little bit about you getting started out in business. Started at, uh, I went to Wall Street at 16 years old. I was asked to leave high school. And it was a good idea, I never went. (laughs) And I went uh, to Wall Street uh, with one shirt and a dream delivering securities on Wall Street. And I worked my way up into what they call a margin clerk. 
which is really an accountant. And from there, I went into business. And from there, I opened up three personnel agencies on Wall Street. And I was very, very successful. What were the values that you were chasing at that time? Values for me were money. I had three personal agencies, and with that money funneled into a, a phone on the Florida Commodity Exchange, and I was trading commodities while I was making money, there was never enough money for me to make. And my dream was to retire at 40 years old. And if I, I really became, it really came close to that. And uh, everything fell apart after a while. What would you say were some of the flaws that you had in your thinking at that time while you were on Wall Street? Well, uh, coming from a background of being uh, very poor and uh, really having uh, cardboard for soles of your shoes, money was a big motivator for me. I chased it my whole life. Any way I could make it, I would make it. And it was never enough. Jerry, when was it that you knew that what you had accumulated and everything that you had earned was not enough? It wasn't working in, in, in 1983 when I was absolutely drinking too much. And I knew that I had to do something about my drinking when my daughter, who was 13 years old, uh, said to me, Dad, we don't sleep until you get home because we're afraid you're going to have a car accident or something uh, something bad will happen to you. And I went into Alcoholics Anonymous in February of 1983. You had just about everything that the world would say should make you happy, but yet you weren't happy. So what was the trigger event that caused you to trust Jesus? It was my 90th day in Alcoholics Anonymous. You receive a coin for sobriety for 90 days. Sean O'Flaherty was my sponsor. And I came back to my office that afternoon after receiving this coin, and my partner had his lawyers there. And in effect, uh, they said, you no longer work here because the sales had dropped dramatically within three months. And... Um, Sean, I called Sean and Sean said, let's have dinner tonight, so bring your wife over to the house. So we had dinner, and uh, after dinner, Sean said, you know what you need. And I thought it was going to be a gathering of how I can get the company back. And he said, you need Jesus. And my wife and I looked at each other like, this is incredible that he's saying this to me but I trusted this man for 90 days. And I said, okay, so what do we have to do? And to tell you the truth, we held hands and we said a simple prayer, asking Christ to come into our heart. Did I think that this would change my life? Absolutely not. But I walked out of that meeting, that dinner, a different man than I walked in. So you trusted in Jesus. But following that, you had several dark days. Tell me about that. In the early 90s, I was in the World Trade Center 
I started a new business in the World Trade Center. And I was on the 79th floor. And what had happened was I joined a group called Christian Businessmen. And I was follow-up chairman of the Christian Businessmen on Wall Street. So um, in 1991, Billy Graham came to the, to the Meadowlands. And uh, my wife and I took two men. One was an electrician, and the other one was a bond trader to the conference. And they ran down to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And I remember saying to my wife, we're in trouble. And she said, why? I said, we have to teach these men. So I opened up my home with two men with a simple Bible study. And the rest is history. Uh, it's 20 years later, and over 2,000 people came through the house accepting Christ. And we ministered to all these people to this day. Now, 1993, we're scheduled to go to um, Carlisle, Pennsylvania at a Christian businessmen's conference. And my wife woke up that day and she wasn't feeling well. And I parked the car in a B2 lot of the Trade Center every day. I had my own parking space. And I took the day off and the bomb went off at the B2 lot. So I missed that. Two months later, we moved back into the Trade Center. And uh, my wife said, let's, let's take a day off and go down to Jersey Shore. I took a day off, Ryan, and a fire breaks out on the 78th floor, and they had to walk down 79 flights. The next day, I went into work. They were waiting for me, the whole staff, and they said, where were you? You missed twice. And they said, if you ever miss again, call us. We're not going to work. <laughs> so that was in, that was in 90, 93. Um, Fast forward, 2001. I am uh, the chairman of the Christian Businessmen on Wall Street. And uh, we're going to an international conference in Atlanta, Georgia. My wife and I were very excited. We have a lot of friends around the country. And um, we went to the conference. And my wife got a pain. We went to the hospital. They misdiagnosed the pain. They said it was a kidney stone. And when we came back to the hotel room, hours later, the pain was so severe, we called 911. He went back, she looked at me, and she said, Jerry, I'm very sick. I called 911. Her eyes rolled. I started to give her CPR, and uh, she had died in my arms. It was an aneurysm. So. Take her to the hospital. I'm on the floor of the emergency room with my hand on the door with my friend Tim Philpott. And I'm asking God to please just bring her back this once. I was married 35 years now. And uh, they came out and they said it was too late. Came back to the hotel room. And she had already ironed my clothes to go home the next day. I walked right to the balcony. I'm by myself. 
I put my hand on the rail to jump. I'm too devastated to live. And God spoke to my heart. And he said, what kind of legacy are you going to leave the menu mentor? What about your children? Are you going to leave this, that your father committed suicide? So I had known right then on that balcony that I had to live and move on with my life. Months later, uh, it was September. I was sitting in the kitchen having coffee. I got up. I live in this big house, our dream house. We bought our dream home. We lived there for years. It was just beautiful. And I'm in this house. My kids are grown. My daughter's a doctor in uh, uh, California. The other one's an opera singer in Connecticut. And uh, I'm living in this house by myself. September 11th. And the phone rang. It was my daughter crying. Dad, did you see the World Trade Center? And I put the TV on, and I saw that that plane, that the first plane that hit the uh, Trade Center was my office and killed all the people that I knew. So God moved me into action immediately. My wife was only dead two months, and the phone started to ring. People that lost spouses in the Trade Center how do we do this? Because I had a head start. So I invited them over to the house to have coffee. And we'd sit down and we'd cry together. I had no answers. God put you on a totally new path after all of that. So how has God used you in New York and around the world? I started to get invitations to speak in different groups and different conferences. Just basically telling my testimony, giving my story. Simple. You know I'm not a rocket scientist. We all know that, okay? But it's the content of the story, how God could use a man like me that came from nothing, who has just bumped along in my Christian walk being faithful, keeping my eye on God. Did I fall? Absolutely. But you pick yourself up and you just keep going. You met a special person, and God gave you a special person. So tell me about her. Well, uh, first, God doesn't waste pain. We all know that. And uh, he restores what the locusts is eat. I was at a Christian conference in Mexico, and I was the U.S. speaker when I saw Gracie. And uh, I met Gracie, and she was kind enough to get me coffee, okay? And uh, from there, we started to correspond back and forth. And uh, Gracie and I got married on February 28th, seven years ago. But she has been absolutely phenomenal. And how is God using both of you? Well, we minister to a lot of people here. You know, as you know, that uh, new Christians come into your life with a lot of baggage. And uh, the light draws bugs. And they come in, and we just minister to them in any 
we've heard everything in this house. They're great people, and God just blesses us through this. Gracie, with her hospitality, and she ministers to women, she counsels women, and I do the same with men. As you look back on your life, all of the money, the loss, the ups and the downs, what is the biggest lesson that God has taught you? Well, you know, I, I see the big picture that God wants to bless us, but we have to know him. And for me, it's just to keep my hand and just hold on to his garment. That's as simple as that. I have to just get on my knees and ask God to please help. That's the bottom line. You have to know Jesus. on the other side of tragedy? It's the real question today. Is there hope on the other side of some painful events? Jerry lost his business, lost his wife. He lost his business a second time and all of his friends and all of his employees and one would think that would cause people to just fold up. But yet after 10 years, you can honestly say that hope survives. So how does an individual like Jerry Molnar have any hope in this life? Well, Scripture actually gives us a formula for walking through any kind of pain that we might experience. So whatever it is that you feel, whatever it is that might be happening on the inside of you today, no matter how intense that is, or maybe how simple it might even feel, there is a formula for walking through pain And I want to share that with you. First of all, don't abandon your support network. Don't abandon your support network. It seems that when we hurt, we often begin to push away from the very people that might be able to help us. We run away from family and friends, those who can provide that type of support network for us. And when we push away, hope cannot survive. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we find an individual writing to some friends, and he says this in verse 11, may God our Father and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon, and may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow. You see that word overflow on the screen? It actually means to superabound, and the picture we get is of something that is spilling over. And so the writer is saying here, may your love for each other as you support and care and love and give each other that type of network, may it overflow, may it spill over, may it superabound just as our love for you overflows. You know, one of the things that I love about Jerry's story is that he engaged with people right after tragedy. Instead of running into isolation, which is what we sometimes want to do, he actually began the process of engaging with people. Think about this. 
within the church a group of people just like us. There are individuals here who can provide that type of support network for all of us. I mean, think about this. There are those here who have walked where you might be walking. There are those who have experienced the pain that you might now feel. There are those who absolutely get it and they're willing to help. So take advantage of that support network. It is there for you. It is available. And that is the beauty of the church. And there will come a day when the very thing you need is the strong support of a friend that you can find right here. So don't abandon. Don't abandon your support network because it helps hope survive. You know, when we let people in, Here's what happens. Here's the advantage. The generosity of our heart actually increases and then that overflows to other people. The generosity in our heart, it just builds and it begins to spill over and that affects other people. And who doesn't want to be around somebody like that? So don't abandon your support network because it helps hope survive. Secondly, stay calm and confident and give God time to work. Stay calm and confident and give God time to work and sort out all of the details. And in Jerry's story, there was a moment where he didn't want to live. The pain was too great. It was too intense. It was just too much. The devastation was that amazing in his life. And yet he reached out to a loving God who began to whisper into his life, Jerry, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? You know, here's what we know about God. There are a lot of things we don't know about God. So many things. But here's what we know about God. He kind of specializes in the impossible. I mean, that is his thing. And that's where he shines. (laughs) Things look very, very bleak. God just comes through. It's what he does. Listen to verse 13. It says, may he, speaking of God, as a result, make your hearts strong. You see that word strong? It actually means to make stable. And in the middle of pain and chaos, isn't that exactly what we're looking for most of the time? Stability. So may he... God make you strong, meaning he has the ability to do this. He can actually pull this off. He can make me strong. He can make you strong. He can bring stability into your life. In the interview, Jerry said that God never wastes pain. Never. It could be the very thing that he wants to use in your life to make your heart strong and bring Stability doesn't sound normal. It doesn't sound right, but this is the way God works. And the very thing that we want to push away, the very thing that we want to run from might be it. It might be that thing that God uses to make us strong and stable. So stay calm and confident and give God time to work because it helps hope survive. Thirdly, embrace the hope bringer. 
Embrace the hope bringer. Verse 13 says, may he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God, our Father. And there is a simple reminder there that at some point, we all stand before God. Someday I stand before God. Someday you will stand before God. And the big question today is, are you ready for that day? You can be if you embrace the hope bringer. You know, as we have contemplated once again the darkness of the evil that attacked us on that fateful day 10 years ago, it is so easy to recognize evil out there, but Scripture actually tells us that there is evil inside of all of us, and our sin has created a gap between us and the hope that comes through a forever friendship with Jesus. And so, how do we close that gap? The truth is, we don't. We can't. So, who can? Well, God can, and in his mercy and grace, he sent his son to die in our place. He then rose again with the authority to give us eternal life if we simply trust in him alone. And this is the very thing that Jerry was talking about. You have to trust. You have to trust. So what's required? Well, what's required is that each of us as individuals make the choice to trust in Jesus alone to get rid of our sin problem and welcome us into his forever family so that we can have hope not only in this life, but for eternity. And what greater hope is there? What greater hope is there than that? And what greater legacy can we leave to others? Choose hope in God because his hope survives. Hope survives. Will you pray with me? I just want to encourage you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment as I simply talk to you about something that is vitally important in regards to hope. Maybe you've never had the opportunity to consider your own eternal future. And I want to give you that opportunity right now. See, here's a question that you can ask yourself. Do I have absolute certainty that if my life were to end today, that I would have the hope of heaven? I mean, do I have that absolute certainty that if my life were to end on this day, that I would have the hope of heaven? If you don't have absolute certainty... I want you to know that you can have that right now on this day because scripture tells us that he who believes, he who believes has eternal life. And here's the amazing thing. God has already done all that is required to bridge that gap and to bring hope into our lives. All that is necessary is for us to trust in him. If you are ready to make that choice today, if you are ready to embrace the hope bringer, then from your heart to God's ears in this moment, you can simply say this to him. 
Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you died in my place. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. I now trust in him alone to save me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again for me. Thank you for bringing hope just for me. With your head still bowed, if that's a prayer that you have prayed, it is the most important decision that anyone could make. It is the ultimate game changer for all of our lives. And I want to encourage you to share that choice with someone today. And I want to pray for you right now as you begin your new life in Christ. Father, we come to you and we are so thankful for everyone that is here today. And we're grateful for the hope that you bring into our lives. God, as we think about the events of 10 years ago, it's still so overwhelming and hard to figure out. Still so many question marks. But when we hear the stories of those who have walked through this and how they talk about you and reaching out to a support network and allowing you to have space in their lives and embracing the hope that you bring, God, it brings hope to us as well. So God, whatever it is that we feel and whatever pain we're walking through, whatever chaos and hopelessness is in our lives right now, help us to understand that there is a formula for walking through every kind of pain. God, help us to embrace your hope. Help us to stay calm and collected then and give you space to work. And God, help us not to abandon the support network that you have provided for us in family and friends and something called the church, the hope of the world. God, for those that have trusted in you for the very first time today, I pray that you'd give them courage and help them to share that with somebody else. God, help them to know that they now have a forever friend who will walk with them through everything in life. Life's not gonna be perfect. Still gonna be some downtimes. It's gonna be a lot of uptimes as well. But through all of that, whatever it looks like, they have that forever friend in you. And so we praise you, encourage you, and encourage them, help them, build them. And we thank you for these moments. We do pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.